All right, so on July 4th weekend, we kicked off Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. As I said, today we're gonna wrap up the study. When we began this um, the study th- uh, three months ago, or over three months ago, I emphasized the main theme of Philippians. If you remember, the theme of Philippians is joyful living in the midst of any circumstance. The emphasis there is any circumstance, right? So joyful living in the midst of any circumstance. And in that first study, I told you there's a difference between joy and happiness, right? What is happiness? Happiness is great, but happiness, it's, a, it's, an, it's an emotion. <laughs> it kind of comes and goes. Happiness is an emotion that often fluctuates based on how we respond to the various circumstances of life. And so when circumstances are good, we're happy. When things are not going so well, uh, so, so good, we're not so happy, right? You're kind of up here, and hey, everything's great, but then something happens, and uh, depending on how you think about it and how would you believe about it, you're down here, I'm not so happy anymore. Okay, but, but joy is different. What is joy? Well, we defined it. Joy can be defined as a deep sense of well-being from who? You tell me. You see, joy is not an emotion. Joy is a gift from Christ. It's a deep sense of well-being from the Lord that abides in the heart of a person who knows all is well uh, between them and God. It's a, it's, it's a gift from the Lord in the heart of a Christian. And so spirit, for the spirit-filled believer, the beautiful thing about joy is this. Joy sticks with us through thick and thin, right? You may be on top of the world right now. You may be really happy and you may have joy as a Christian, but you may be here or watching online and things are not going well uh, for you right now. People are coming against you. You feel like you're being stretched in a million different directions, whatever. But guess what? Even in that circumstance, you can still have joy. Why? Because joy comes from Jesus and Jesus is greater than our circumstances. That's why. We should rejoice in this. We should accept this and be happy in it and joyful in it. Peter said it this way. Through, uh, though you have not seen him, who? Jesus Christ, in the context. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The question is, do you, just answer it in your heart, do you have that inexpressible joy in your heart? Another question I'm gonna throw out Now, just answer it in your heart. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? You know, usually I'll share the gospel at the end of the message. I wanna share it right now. And the gospel is simply good news. What's the good news? The good news, before I tell you, starts with bad news, okay? So the bad news is that all of us are sinners. That's the bad news. Hey, guess what? God knit us together in our mother's womb. God made us in his image. That's a beautiful thing. But the problem is we were born in sin. And not only that, we choose to sin. And the penalty of sin is what, church family? Death. That's physical death, but it's also spiritual death. We're not just physical beings. 
We're also spiritual beings. What's spiritual death? It's eternal separation from God. It's not annihilation. It's eternal separation from God. Okay, so that's the bad news. The good news is God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. And so what did Jesus do? The second person of the Trinity, the eternal son of God. He left heaven. He came to earth. He added um, humanity to his divinity. He clothed himself in, a, um, in human flesh. He was born of a virgin, prophesied in the Old Testament. He lived a perfect life. And not only that, as the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ hung on a cross and he bled. Why did he bleed? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. The problem is sin, we're sinners. And the wages of sin is death. What did Jesus do? He died in our place. He paid for our sins in full. And then three days later, he got up and victoriously marched out of the grave. It is a fact of history seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now what is he doing? He's praying and he's calling people. The eternal son of God is calling people to admit they're sinners in need of a savior and believe that he died for your sins and rose again and then receive him as the savior and Lord of your life. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we need to be sharing with people um, who need the Lord because God is such an amazing God that he did all that so we could be with him forever in heaven. Amen? Amen. Now, after the Lord saves us, what does he wanna do? to do in, in the lives of his children. He wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. He wants to conform us into the image of Christ. And part of that means that we become unselfish, joyful, giving people. Um, some of the most joyful people in the world are people who are saved, they're spirit-filled, and they're generous people. They're givers. And speaking about generosity, that is the last character trait that the Apostle Paul deals with as he closes up his letter to the church of Philippi. And so in these closing comments, we already um, looked through them uh, last week, but we're gonna take a deeper dive into the closing comments of Paul to the church of Philippi. And so right now, if you're looking at Philippians chapter four, verse 15, can you say amen? amen. Okay, so we're all together, right, in the Bible uh, looking at Philippians 4, verse 15, A.D. 61, right there about, Paul's under house arrest in Rome. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He's writing to the church of Philippi. He just received provisions from this church. He wants to say thank you for, for um, of sending these provisions. And he says in verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God, my God's gonna supply every need, it doesn't say greed, every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever and all God's people said. All right, so today we're gonna talk about generosity and the way we're gonna do that is we're gonna examine the example of the Philippians. So here's the big idea of the message if you wanna take notes today and that is that when we honor God through spirit-led generosity, he provides. When we honor God through spirit-led generosity, he provides not for our greeds, but for our needs. Now, last week, we got into the historical background for the passage that we just read. Today, we're going even deeper into that historical background. Ladies and gentlemen, I said it in my prayer, I'll say it again. I'm passionate about uh, giving disciple-making messages. I spend a lot of time during the week preparing a meal for the local church, and this is what we're called to do. We're called to get into the Bible. We're called to study it. We're called to open up our hearts and ask the Lord to do a work and to speak to us. And so we're gonna get into the historical background before we return to the scriptures, and we're gonna start with a map. So the church of Philippi um, was located in Macedonia. And so you see on the left part of your screen the boot, that's Italy. Then you see in the middle part of your screen, Greece. Greece divided north and south. In the northern area of Greece, that's Macedonia. Southern area of Greece, that's Achaia. And then you have um, uh, Asia Minor on the right, which is modern day Turkey. But if you can see the city of Philippi, top of your screen, off center to the right. Can you say amen? Okay, so there's the city where Paul writes the letter that we've been studying for the last three months. And so on the second missionary journey around AD 50, he goes to Philippi, and then he goes to Thessalonica, and then he goes over to Berea, then he leaves Macedonia, and he heads down to Achaia, uh, down to Athens, and eventually makes his way over to Corinth. All right, and so let's talk about the Philippians. The church of Philippi was a generous church, and that can be seen by this timeline right here. And so around AD 50, while he's on his second missionary journey, number one, Paul planted the church of Philippi. Notice that every single point out of the seven points on the screen are backed up with scripture. Why? Because I need to make sure as I'm teaching that I'm teaching the Bible, <laughs> okay? And so Acts 16 is very clear as you study the history that Paul uh, planted the church of Philippi. You remember Lydia, she's the first convert. The Lord does an amazing work, opens her heart. She is saved. The, the slave girl, we believe um, after they cast the demon out of her, she got saved. The Philippian jailer, his family, beautiful, beautiful story. And then when Paul's done in Philippi, he heads down the road, and number two, uh, he goes to Thessalonica. Thessalonica. And what did the Philippians do for him while he was there? Number two, he, they sent support to Paul in Thessalonica at least twice. And we see that in verse 16. Please look at verse 16. It says, even in Thessalonica, 
you sent me help for my needs once and again. And so while in Macedonia, as I just said, he was in Philippi, he was in Thessalonica, he went to Berea, then he left Macedonia and he went down to Athens. And around that time, number three, the Philippians became partners with Paul in giving and receiving. And we see that in verse 15. Please look at verse 15. He says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And so what happened was that the church of Philippi, the local church, what are they doing? They're supporting the Apostle Paul. They're supporting the missionary. Now we don't know how long this partnership of giving and receiving lasted, but what we do know is that at some point, number four, the Philippians lacked opportunity to continue giving to Paul. You say, where do you get that? We get that in verse 10. Please look at verse 10. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Here it is. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. As I said last week, Paul was a hard guy to keep up with. This is the first century. There's no technology. It's not like they can you know, um, take a picture of the, the giving thing on, on the seed or go to Paul, the Apostle Paul's website and hit give. They can't do that. You know? They're having a hard time keeping up with this guy. And so at some point, they lacked opportunity, I believe, because they couldn't find him. And then what happened? Well, the giving stopped. I think that, that um, they lacked opportunity after he left Greece. Now, that's around A.D. 50. You fast forward six years or so, you come to A.D. 56. The Apostle Paul, passionate for the Lord, now he's on his third missionary journey. And while he's on his third missionary journey, number five, he visited the Philippians at least twice. We get that from Acts chapter 20, one through six. Well, what are we doing? We're matching the history in Acts with the letters. And so in Acts chapter 20, uh, verse two, we find out that Paul is traveling through Macedonia. He's encouraging the churches. That would include the church of Philippi. Then the Bible says that he left Macedonia. He went to Greece, southern Greece, Achaia, for three months. Then the Bible says in verse six, he goes back up to Macedonia, to Philippi. No doubt he visits them again. And then he sails away from Philippi. So he has this relationship with this local church that he um, planted. Now, as we follow the story of the Philippians' generosity, here's where we wanna pump the brakes right now. Here's where we really wanna think about it for a little while. We discover as we follow this story that number six, the Philippians sent support to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Now, some of you never even heard that before. And so um, I'm so happy that you're learning something new about the New Testament. But here, here's what happened. What happened was the church was born in Jerusalem. Did you guys know that as a local church, we have a beautiful heritage? We have a beautiful history. If you wanna read the beginning of it, it's Acts chapter two. And so after Jesus went up, who came down? 
the Holy Spirit. The church was born. The first church, Church of Jerusalem. Amazing, amazing story. But then if you fast forward into history, what happens is that reportedly a great famine came upon the area, the province of Judea, where Jerusalem is located. And so what happens when famine comes? Hard times. Crops are shriveling, economic depression. You add to that the persecution, right? Here's what you need to know, and that is that thousands of Jews um, believed that Jesus was their Messiah, and that's awesome in the first century AD. But you need to know also that a lot of Jews said, no, Jesus is an imposter. He's a false Messiah. And what happened historically is that some of the unbelieving Jews persecuted the believing Jews, and no doubt the believing Jews were kicked out of the synagogue, fired from their jobs, so you add the famine to persecution, and number six, these people are poor. They're impoverished, they're in need. And then comes along the Apostle Paul, the guy that we love so much. Why do we love Paul so much? His heart, man, his passion. And so he hears about the, the, the poor um, uh, Jews who believe in Jesus in Jerusalem, and his heart goes out to them, and what does he do? He starts a fundraiser. He begins to raise funds from other churches, various churches around the Roman Empire in order to send relief to the brothers and sisters down in Jerusalem. And one of the churches um, that Paul asked for support from was the church of Corinth. Now remember the map. You got Macedonia up here, you got Achaia down here, and you got Corinth down here in southern Greece. So Paul is writing a letter to the church of Corinth and he's asking them for help. Hey, would you guys help the poor people in Jerusalem? Can you step up? Can you give? And one of the ways that Paul does this is that he brags on the churches up in Macedonia. And so when he writes to the Corinthians, he says in um, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 1, we're gonna put these verses on the screen for you, uh, or you can turn to first, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and follow along verse by verse. But Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, he says, in the context of this fundraiser, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of, what's the word there? Okay, so he's talking to the Corinthians down in Achaia, and he's saying, hey guys, hey ladies, guess what? Your brothers and sisters up here in the north, the churches of Macedonia, by the way, what were three of the churches in Macedonia? Thessalonica, Berea, and our friends, the Philippians. Hey Corinthians, guess what? The churches up there in Macedonia, they're, they're doing something great. What did those churches do? Verse two, he says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So what Paul is doing is he's using the church of Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, he's using the church of Philippi as an example for the church of Corinth in fundraising for the poor people, the poor Jews who believe in Jesus in Jerusalem. He's bragging on the Philippians. And what is he saying? First sentence there, they're having a hard time in severe test of affliction. 
their abundance of joy. Can you guys say the word joy here? Now, now, look, now look at this. The Philippians, Thessalonians, and Bereans, they're in a severe test of affliction, and yet they have joy. <laughs> Do you see it? Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a gift from the Lord. And you can have joy even when you're going through difficult times. There's hope this morning for you. Joy from Jesus, even when you're going through a hard time. And so in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their, look at this, extreme poverty, at least at this time in the life of the Philippians, they're having a hard time economically. But that's okay, because I still got joy from Jesus. So in a severe test of affliction, their abundance, um, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have, here it is, overflowed in a wealth of, what's the word? On their part. A wealth of generosity on their part. In other words, when Paul made known the need to the church of Philippi, that there's brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who really need our help, the Philippians stepped up. Even though at that point in their history, they don't have a lot economically, they still stepped up, and even though they were in deep poverty, they gave generously to the relief effort. Is, is all this making sense to you guys? All right, and so the Philippians had their priorities straight. I love this, because they had their priorities straight even in a severe test of affliction. They had their priorities straight even though they were going through a difficult time. They had their priorities straight even though life wasn't all wonderful. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, if we want to experience joy because the Philippians, going through a difficult time, had their priorities straight, and they're experiencing joy. If we wanna experience joy in our lives, we need to have our priorities straight. What does that mean? What does that look like? Right there, that's what it looks like. Now listen, that's easy when everything's going well. That's easy when the bank account's got a lot of money in it. That's easy when no one's coming against you. That's easy when you're living a stress free life. By the way, is anybody living a stress-free life? I don't think so. That's easy, right? When, when people aren't, people and things aren't pulling you in a million different directions, that's easy. But the Philippians were in a severe test. They were being afflicted. They were going through a difficult time, and yet they still kept their priorities straight. Why? Because they believed that number one is Jesus Christ. And number two is not me myself, and I. How many of you guys understand the culture that we live in has a disease? It's called meitis. It's all about me. I'm always on my mind. Always thinking about what's going on in my life. How do I feel? Right? I'm in a picture with a bunch of people. They take the picture. The first thing I wanna know when I see the picture, I don't care what anybody else looks like, what do I look like? <laughs> oh man, my shirt, what, what's going on? Oh, my hair, oh no, what's in my teeth, you know? Me, me, me. How many of you guys know that Jesus wants to deliver us from all that? Amen. He wants to, listen, he wants us, he wants to conform us into his image. 
And Jesus was unselfish. Jesus was a giver, he was generous. And so what do we do as the Lord is sanctifying us as Christians? Well, Jesus is first, and then number two is others. Now all of a sudden, hey, how are you doing? How's it going in your life? How are you feeling? What's going on? Um, um, let me take some time out of my busy schedule and let me listen to what's going on. And all of a sudden we become other oriented and then what happens, number three, is we put ourselves last. By the way, the culture will not teach you that. That'll never appear on your TV screen, um, but it'll happen here in, in the local church. All right, and so as Paul continued to write to the Corinthians about the generosity of the Macedonian churches, he said this, we're just going verse by verse. He said, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Again, what's the context? The fundraiser for the poor people in Jerusalem. So they step up, they give according to their needs, and beyond their means of their own accord. I love that. Do you guys know that every word in the Bible is important? Their own accord. In other words, they weren't manipulated. They weren't forced. They weren't coerced. They did it of their own accord. And this blew me away this week. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. It's like, what? What is going on here? And so the churches of Macedonia, they wanted to give to this relief effort for the poor people in Jerusalem so much they begged Paul to do so. Wow. You know, usually it's the preacher begging the Christians to give. In this situation, it's the Christians begging the preacher to let them give. Please, Paul, we heard. Our hearts go out. We wanna help, we wanna give. What's the key to their amazing attitude? Very next verse. There's so much in the Bible if we just take the time to study it. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. There's your key right there. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And so what was the key to the Philippians' amazing attitude towards giving. Here it is, they gave themselves first to the Lord. I love what David Guzik had to say about this verse. He said, in giving, the real issue isn't giving money. It's giving ourselves to the Lord. If we really give ourselves to the Lord, then the right kind of material giving will naturally follow. And I think all of us right now should say amen to that. Amen. That's awesome, that is so true. And so follow the logic here. The Philippians gave themselves to the Lord first. What does that mean? Christ is number one. Christ is numero uno, right? Christ is preeminent in my life. And then what did the Spirit of God do? As they're putting Christ first, what did the Spirit of God do in their hearts? He did an amazing work of grace to the point where now they wanna give. That's a beautiful thing. And it's only, uh, it's only a work of the Lord. And so after pointing to the example of generosity from the Macedonian churches, Paul then tells the Corinthians down here in Achaia, all right, it's time for you to join in 
And he said this in verse seven. By the way, this is a great discipleship verse right here. He said, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, some of your Bibles say, in your love for us, others of your Bibles say, our love um, that has, has um, inspired you or something similar to that. It's difficult in the Greek to translate, but you guys get the idea. They're excelling, excelling, excelling. That's what we should be doing as we're growing in the Lord, as we're becoming, um, um, as we're growing in discipleship, we're excelling, we're excelling, we're excelling. But he says, don't forget this, last sentence, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So what's that act of grace? It's giving to the relief fund for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Do you guys see, see, see this verse? You, you understand what's going on here? If so, just do this so I know you're with me. Oh, you don't get it yet. All right, hey, if you don't, if you don't go like this, I'm gonna re-preach it, all right? So let's do it again, right? As you excel in everything. Hey, hey, um, Corinthians, Paul would say, I'm so glad that you Christians are excelling in faith. You're growing in faith. That's a great thing, woo, yeah. You can get excited about a football game on Sunday. You should be really excited that you're growing strong in the faith. Awesome, right? And not only that, you're growing in speech. So important what comes out of this mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you guys, man, you are being sanctified. Yeah, you're growing in speech. And not just that, you're growing in knowledge. Woo! You're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord and in earnestness and in love. Hey, but don't forget this. You should also excel in giving, specifically in the context to this relief effort to the poor in Jerusalem. Now, if that makes sense, say amen. amen. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep going. All right, so, <laughs> so still in the context of this fundraiser, you, you jump one chapter to 2 Corinthians chapter nine. By the way, if you wanna study it on your own, it's a great study, just grab Guzik and go through 2 Corinthians eight and nine. But um, it's all about this fundraiser for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And you guys, you guys have seen this a thousand times, right? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what kind of a giver? Cheerful. And so Paul would say, to the Corinthians when it comes to spirit-led generosity. That's what we're talking about today, spirit-led generosity. Instead of, being, instead of sowing sparingly, we should sow bountifully. Instead of being reluctant, we should be willing. Instead of feeling forced, manipulated, coerced, we should decide in our own heart. Instead of being mad or sad, we should be cheerful. Now the word cheerful in the Greek is the Greek word hilaros, which is the root of our English word hilarious. We should be hilarious givers. Does that mean, pastor, that the next time I give, I should just break out in hysterical laughter? No, that would be weird, okay, don't do that. <laughs> what, what Paul is saying here is that when we give, we should give with joy 
And that makes sense, right? Joy and generosity go together. It's a work of the Lord. He gives us this joy. And, and so, just think, think, think through this with me. Cheerfulness should be our attitude when we're giving to poor believers in need. That's the context of those famous words we just read. But in a broader sense, cheerfulness should be our attitude in all our giving. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, back to the timeline. What, what's happening on the timeline? We're down on number six, right? After the Philippians sent support to Jerusalem, number six, years pass, we're not sure how long, but years pass, we get to about AD 61, the Philippians, way up in northern Greece, hear that Paul is in Rome and he's under house arrest, and when they hear about his plight, what do they do? Number seven, last point, they sent support to Paul in Rome. Over the years, as you guys look at this, and this is just what we know about, but over the years, would you say that the Philippians were a generous church, yes or no? Yeah, and by the way, it's all straight from the Bible. They gave to Paul. How did Paul respond? Please look at your Bibles, verse 17. Philippians 4, verse 17. Here's Paul's response. Not that I seek the gift. And I just read that, and I think, wow, because I know for a fact that all scripture is given by inspiration, is breathed out by God. So the Holy Spirit, remember he's a holy spirit, um, is leading Paul to write this. This is what you call, um, he's not self-serving here. You guys see what I mean? Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, so now he's talking in Old Testament language, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need, not greed, every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's response. What I was trying to say earlier is that Paul's motive in writing to the Philippians about giving here, right, he's wrapping up the letter, he's writing about giving. His motive there is not self-serving. Why? Because he said in verse 17, it's not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And so John Phillips, a great commentator, he said this about that verse. He said that Paul was grateful for the financial relief that had come, but he was even more pleased by the spiritual implications of the Philippians' gift. Why? Because they were laying up treasures in heaven. You see that? It's such a beautiful story that we're going through. It's so meaningful and it can be so impactful if, if our hearts are open. Paul told the, the uh, Christians in Philippi, hey, it's kind of you. I think he said that in verse 14. Um, yeah, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Hey, thank you. It's kind of you for you to send this support. 
but I don't, I'm not saying all that because I want a gift from you. No, I'm seeking the fruit that increases to your account. The fruit that increases to your account. What does that remind us of? Well, Jesus' words, which I put on the screen last week, we'll put it on the screen again. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, Jesus said, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so when believers engage in spirit-led generosity here on earth, here's what we're doing. We're setting ourselves up for a glorious time at the judgment seat of Christ. And so here's what I know uh, at 12.04 is that some of you are thinking of lunch right now. So everybody look at me, come back to me, okay? And I'm gonna say that sentence again because that that was really important, all right? So by by engaging in spirit-led generosity, the Philippians, what were they doing? They were setting themselves up for a glorious time at the judgment seat of Christ. And so there are various judgments that are coming in the future. Two of them are the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not if they come in the future, it's when they come in the future. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers. The great white throne judgment seems to be only for unbelievers. The judgment seat of Christ happens before the millennial reign of Christ. I personally believe it's gonna happen right after the rapture. And so the next prophetic event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. I sure hope it happens in our lifetime. I don't know, but it's gonna be wonderful if it does. And what's gonna happen? Christians are gonna go up. First Thessalonians four or five, right, around there. Um, Christians are going up. And what's gonna happen then? We're, Jesus, we're gonna see him face to face and he's gonna take us to the Father's house where he prepared a dwelling for us. Isn't Jesus kind, by the way? And then, guess what? We're going to a judgment. And you're like, what? I didn't hear that about that part. <laughs> yeah, we're going to a judgment. And then after the judgment seat of Christ, we're all gonna have a party. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb. And all, as, as we're experiencing that in heaven, guess what's happening on earth? the wrath of God's being poured out in the tribulation period. You say, you don't think the church is going through the tribulation? With all my heart, no. Why? Why don't you believe that, pastor? Because ladies and gentlemen, Jesus took the wrath of God on the cross in our place. That's why, that's why. Listen, you can call me an escapist if you want. Hey, I'm happy we're gonna escape out of here. But anyway, I'm getting way off my notes, okay? <laughs> so, so you got the, the judgment seat of Christ that happens before the millennium. The great white throne judgment happens after the millennial reign of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, believers are gonna be judged according to their works and that is not gonna determine their salvation. That's already been taken care of by Jesus. That's gonna determine whether they receive rewards or whether they lose rewards. Did you guys know that based upon what we do here on earth, we could lose or receive rewards at this judgment? 
the great white throne judgment, unbelievers will be judged according to their works, and that's gonna determine the degree of their punishment. I really want you to get this. I'm gonna read my notes, okay? So if you're listening, say amen. Here we go. Salvation is a free gift given to those who trust Christ. But the rewards that Christians receive once we get to heaven will depend on our faithfulness on the earth. I said it last weekend. I said, I think I'm misunderstood on this point. And then I got home and I thought, you know what? I don't think I've been misunderstood. In fact, I think that since 17 and a half years ago, when my wife and three daughters and I came and we started this local church in the home of Lee and Julie Holly, for 17 and a half years, I think I've been crystal clear that justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now you tell me, have I been clear? I've been super clear. Okay, you can't work your way to heaven. Jesus paid it all. And so, um, when you think about the judgments, you can't allow yourself to get confused. And if you wanna go deeper, uh, gotquestions.org, what is the judgment seat of Christ? And that'll help you in your discipleship. Now, here's what born again Christians need to know. I'll say it again, our faithfulness to Christ is gonna be rewarded in the next life. The next life. Have you guys ever just taken time to think about it? You know, it's hard, right? We live in a fallen world, we're being pulled in a million different directions, some people may be coming at us, they don't like us or whatever, uh, we're going through difficult times, and it's so easy to just get wrapped up in thinking about everything going on down here and we don't think about what's gonna be like when we get up there. And my encouragement, everybody here, everybody watching, hey, just like you prepare for a vacation and you plan it out, we should think about heaven and get excited. How many of you guys go on vacation and you don't even plan it? How many of you guys say, hey, hon, let's jump in the car. Where are we going on vacation? I don't know, let's just drive. <laughs> Nobody does that. In fact, some of you, uh, I, I know for months, you're so excited about it, you've got every little hour of every day planned out. We're gonna go eat here, and we're gonna go to this event, and over here, and right, right? So why don't we think about heaven? Ladies and gentlemen, think about it. It'll give you so much hope. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, hope is sure hope, right? It'll, it'll make you excited. It'll lift your spirits. Did you know, according to Jesus, when we get to heaven, we're gonna receive treasure. You say, what is that? I don't know, <laughs> but it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be amazing, whatever it is. It's gonna be great. And not only that, we're gonna receive crowns. Got Questions has a great article on crowns too. So I want you to imagine, right? You've been faithful to the Lord, good times, bad times, hard times, none of us are perfect but the Holy Spirit has helped you be faithful, and there you are at the judgment seat of Christ, and all of a sudden, your name is called. And you look over at me, and I'm like, that's your turn, man. Don't look at me, I'm not going up there with you. I was just your pastor, right? And so you walk up to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Is anybody preparing for this? And here's what I know, you're getting down on your knees and you hear him say, well done, 
good and faithful servant, he puts a crown on your head. What? <laughs> Man, not just treasure, not just crowns, authority over cities in the millennial kingdom. Here's, here's a quick memo. Um, we're not amillennial in this church. A lot of churches are. A in Latin means no millennium. They don't believe in a literal thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. With all my heart, I believe. Jesus is coming and Jesus is gonna reign on this earth for a thousand years. And according to the parable of the talents, based on our faithfulness as Christians, some are gonna rule over 10 cities and some are gonna rule over five. Can you imagine going up, going to Jerusalem and getting your assignment from the Lord and carrying out that assignment? It's, it's, it's really amazing when you think through it. It's gonna blow our minds. Here's what I've said before, I'll say it again this morning, that Christians, listen, we're not gonna be plump little angels sitting on a cloud, <laughs> you know, strumming our little harp with a halo floating over our heads for all eternity, no. If you're listening, say amen here. Amen. We are gonna be resurrected powerful, immortal beings reigning and living under the ruleship of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. That's better than any vacation. <laughs> and it lasts forever. <laughs> and then we're just getting started because then there's the new heavens and the new earth. So, so we're talking about eternity. Let's, let's, let's close with this. God's provision in this life some of you are thinking, yeah, amen, right? Well, look at verse 19. Here it is. My God will supply every need, not greed, every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then Paul gives credit where credit belongs. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. And so you gotta, you gotta get this part. After the Philippians engaged in spirit-led generosity, they sent provisions to Paul under house arrest in Rome. In the context of that, he says, okay, my God is gonna supply your every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so what is Paul saying under the inspiration of the Spirit, Church of Philippi? Guess what? You're a giving church. You support missions. <laughs> and God's gonna take care of your church. As I was finishing up the message yesterday, the Lord spoke to my heart right here. That the Lord takes care of mission-minded churches. How many of you guys are really tired of COVID? Right? And you know, COVID, here's the thing. COVID has slowed churches down. And I, I'll admit it publicly, it's slowed our church down. But here's what I know, here's my hope, that 2022, Things are gonna be different, and when it comes to community outreach and it comes to global missions, our church is gonna do something big. That's my hope, right? So, so pray with me, because church isn't all about, church isn't only about sitting and listening to a guy talk, and we gotta get out there. And so, hey, Church of Philippi, mission-minded church, God's gonna take care of your needs, and the individuals in the Church of Philippi, hey, guess what? Same promise, God's gonna take care of your needs. And guess what, 2,000 years later, when we engage in spirit-led generosity, God's gonna take care of our needs. 
Jesus said it this way. Here's your last verse. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I don't think the Lord is only talking about financial resources here. When he says give, I think he also means giving of your time, giving of your service, giving of your charitable deeds. And and I just wanna say, and really I'm closing now, I just wanna say, for those of you who support the ministry of Calvary PSL, from the bottom of my heart, uh, the other pastors and staff members, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And those of you who serve, thank you. Listen, we could never do what we do as a church without givers, without servers. And so, you know, I feel inadequate. I feel like thank you's not enough, but I hope, I hope that um, you'll receive that attitude of gratitude that the staff has for, pardon the bad English, all y'all in our core group. Look at verse 21 and we're done. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And all God's people said, 